Welcome to Best Picture This, where it is always Oscar season. I'm Mike. And I'm Brian. In this show, we reevaluate every Best Picture nominee from the 21st century and decide whether to keep it or kick it from its Oscar pedestal. And today, like every year-end finale episode, mm. we'll be a keeping, keeping and kicking extravaganza. We'll take a comprehensive look back at the Best Picture race of 2008 to decide which, if any of them, will stick in our personal top fives of the year. So, in 2008, the nominees for Best Picture were The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, Frost Nixon, Milk, The Reader, and the year's big winner, Slumdog Millionaire. How did you put, why did you put the, why did you read those in that order particularly? I think that's the order we did them in. Is that alphabetical order? No. no. I, I try to stick with chronology here, Brian. <laughs> I'm a stickler for time, you know. Gotcha, that. gotcha. Well, coming up in our grand finale of 2008 show, we will reorder the top five which the Oscar doesn't order them. The Oscars don't order them exactly, but we'll put them in order for ourselves. And then we'll ask each other a question or two. We'll talk some trivia, the grand reveal, what's our top fives, and then a few other Oscar kicks, so which may or may not be merited this year. They're usually They're merited. usually a few they're merited usually, usually kicks. Merited. Um, so how would you reorder the year's five? This is always kind of a weird exercise. Yeah, it is. Um, so my number one for the year would be The Reader. Starting at the top? Yep. Wow. The Reader number one, Benjamin Button number two, Frost Nixon three, Milk four, and Slumdog Millionaire five. Hmm. Okay. Well, this was a tough one for me because I don't feel like there was any clear standouts <laughs> in this year. There was no clear number no one. No clear good one. But for me, there was one clear number five, and that was The Curious Case of Benjamin That was number Button five. Huh? For me, yeah. Right. At number four, I'm going with the Best Picture winner, Slumdog Millionaire. Mm -hmm. And then from there up, my allegiances got very, very weak. I, I, I was very wishy-washy with all of these, but mm -hmm. I'm going to go three milk, two Frost Nixon, and my number one also, The Reader. The Reader, wow. We actually agreed on our top, top movie of the year. Man, rare. Well, top movie of the Oscars. We, yeah. Sometimes we do. Uh, we're not that far off on that, but there's not as many to choose from there. Mm -hmm. All right. So my question for you, Mike, is of the movies that you watched for 08, mm -hmm. tell me a couple of things that you were pleasantly surprised, movies that you either rewatched or if you saw one for the first time this year, tell me one or two that you uh, that stood out. Okay. Without getting into spoilers yes, of, yes. of my top five, of mm -hmm. course, I'll say for one, Frost Nixon, I, yeah. I liked quite a bit. Had you seen it before? Uh, no, okay. th that was a first watch for me and I didn't watch it before because I was like, ugh, another, another one of these. Another biopic Ron <laughs> Howard movie. <laughs> and did like that more actually than good. I thought. Mm -hmm. uh, Doubt I'd seen before and liked. And this year it was kind of amped up another notch. Mm -hmm. I was very happy with that one. Um, Synecdoche? New York, hmm. not going to make my top five. Mm -hmm. And I don't even know if I have any real revelation to share <laughs> here. I just kind of want to bring it up because it's uh -huh. it's the biggest head scratcher from the year. And it was one that I was hoping the most to have a revelation moment with, mm -hmm. you know, like that light bulb goes off and I get it. And I'm kind of convinced that it's not quite gettable in the terms that mm -hmm. I want it to be at least. Um, and so that was a little bit of a disappointment. Synecdoche, New York. So it's a Charlie Kaufman movie, the first one that he directed. And um, yeah, I agree. It's very puzzling. It didn't make my top five, but it is in my short list for the year. And um, 
it's one of the ones that I would be most interested to rewatch mm-hmm. just because it's kind of so puzzling, but it was oddly affecting in a lot of moments. Um, it's just that I didn't always understand why they fit where they did. You know, it's like the, the plot is very hard to understand. And um, a lot of the balance of surreal, surreality and reality is kind of odd. Yeah. It'll be bringing up the rear of my number 10. Yeah. <laughs> of my top 10, it will be the number 10, just because I kind of wanted it in there exactly for that reason, where mm-hmm. if I'm only going to rewatch 10 movies from this year, I probably would want to go back to that one and just see if I can crack it. Mm-hmm. But I don't love it. And I don't know yeah. if I'm ever destined to love it. Mm-hmm. My question to you. Mm-hmm. So this is the final year that the Academy does the the five format. Yes. After this, we go to 10 we in 2009. Mm-hmm. A lot more nominees. Some might say double as many uh, yeah, nominees. Approximately. <laughs> About. So do you think that that is a positive change? Are you looking forward to the increased uh, load for next well, year? I've actually been wondering how we're going to handle this. Yeah. You know, are so let's we gonna, have our production meeting right now. <laughs> <laughs> are we going to, we, we usually do about 10 episodes a year, mm-hmm. but we throw in a bunch of bonuses that are kind of fun or cool to deal with. And now do we really want to go to like 15 episodes for one year or just like stick with these 10 and maybe throw in, be more be like we, we, we've been doing like a, we might also do it. What else are you watching? Maybe we just kind of stick it in there or I don't know. I can't decide. But that's that's been my big my big question mark for it. Because, I mean, if we're going to, if because this means we're letting the Oscar pick all our bonuses theor- yeah. Theor- yeah. theoretically. And typically we don't trust the Oscars to do that. No. I mean, <laughs> historically, I went through our last 10 years of, yeah. of uh, shows, 10 years of of film years, not of us yeah. doing the yes. show. We've only been doing it for approximately one and a half years. Yeah. Um, and there are a lot of disagreements between myself <laughs> and the Academy. So yes, that I, seems to be one of the biggest patterns I've noticed. Yeah. So we're going to need to try to figure out a creative way to do this because I do like kind of cherry picking the weird ones mm-hmm. that would never get nominated for yeah. our bonus episodes. A lot of the times those are the ones that end up in my top five. Yeah, exactly. So I, I think know. I think uh, doing some, sh- yeah, we'll have to see. We'll, we'll spare you, the reader, the listener, mm-hmm. the rest of our production meeting. We'll continue that. One thing time. I will say about the extra, the extra five nominees yeah. in the year, there are pros and cons, I think. And one is that it brings extra attention to more movies. Mm-hmm. So, you know, next year, District 9 was nominated in any other year. No way it would have been There's before no this. No chance they would have nominated District 9 if there were only five spots. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad District 9 gets some love. I'm kind of excited. I'm excited to revisit that one. I remember watching it and not really being, I, I think I was like, is this, this is, it's, it's interesting that it is a Best Picture nominee, but, you know, does it deserve to be there, you know, because it's so like genre focused and a lot of times those don't make it into the Oscar top five. Yeah. So, and I kind of do wonder what impact that has in almost democratizing the, the picks because now you have five more that are kind of on a platform. You have some underdogs in there that might get a lot of hype leading up to the ceremony. And there's gotta be some influence that that has culturally on the critics who are in the Academy doing the voting. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that happens right away or if that's kind of more something that happens that you can see the effect of over the course of years. I mean, think of The Dark Knight. If it would have gotten an Oscar bump, you know, in the box office. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, not even the one billion. It could have gone money. to say one point one billion or something. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> critical uh, hype. I think mean. critical <laughs> hype here. One more question for yeah. you. So, with covering ten years, mm-hmm. that's a lot. Ninety nine to two thousand eight. We've covered a lot of movies here. So, do you have any sort of major takeaways about that span of time? How things have changed, or how you have changed or grown, perhaps? Um, well, I was kind of saving some of this for the 2009 finale because that's kind of like the you're decade. saving it for next year. The decade finale will be oh, 2000 to 2009. I was okay. kind of thinking we'd wrap some stuff up there, but I so mean, keep it personal. Has your approach changed at all from sort of how you started I, this in the beginning? Yeah, I think there's been a few questions that have helped to guide my my. Uh, my own like analysis, my own, you know, understand my own reaction to movies. Like for example, how much did I care about that character? You know, Mm -hmm. that's a really big deal to me. What is the, what movie has the highest high? You know, that's one thing you've talked about that's been kind of useful for me in my own, you know, thinking through it. Um, The Harold Bloom question of what would you bring on the desert Island with you? What would you rewatch? And does that help to define a movie's, you know, greatness or at least how much I care about it. Um, how much do I think a movie is great versus how much do I, do I love it? You know, those are things that I, so all those things that I wrestle with as much as like, I kind of agonize over the finale episode, you know, unnecessarily. Um, I, I kind of like the idea that there are certain like rubrics, you know, I'm kind of a rubric kind of a guy. Yeah. That's the thing about rubrics. We we love to kind of (laughs) tell ourselves that this is the, yeah. these are the criteria that and then I'm they're using. blown and, out of the water and, by the next exactly, movie you exactly. see, which is, which is what's so great about art. Cause mm-hmm. it destroys your expectations. It makes you think. And just as soon as you think that like you got to handle on things, you see somebody breaking all the rules and it, it keeps everything fresh. Like yeah. the movie is the movie business, even though, yeah, there are some blockbusters that get predictable and everything it's impossible to keep it down. You know, it's, there, there are so many great creative geniuses out there that are, that are, um, uh, pushing boundaries that there's always something exciting in, in every year that we've done. So yeah, the year that there's no surprises, it's kind of the year. To that's when we're going to, that's when best picture this boots. has to end yeah, <laughs> for sure. Hang up those kicking boots. Well, I've, they've, they've kicked enough. Oh, they've they've really kicked enough because I noticed <laughs> when I look when I look back through that I've kicked at least three of the of the five pretty much every year and the only time that I've agreed on my number one was the Departed, the Departed yeah. in 06. and that and was even kind that of was a weak wrong. year yeah, that was wrong even yeah. that was wrong. <laughs> I've also got kind of not as precious with the five star rating yeah I, I've realized because I it's it's I thought of it as like this unattainable thing that the only way I would really give a five was if I if a movie had an indescribable X factor. Does this belong in the AFI, the personal AFI top ten of all time for Mike? That's a that's a top five. Now it's what, this could be in the top hundred for Mike all time? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Like I, I would kind of think if I if the movie didn't end and leave me in in like a state of awe, like Eternal Sunshine or Mulholland yeah. Drive then it doesn't deserve the five. Yeah. But then I would find myself playing these games where I'm like writing on letterbox about how I think this is like a perfect blockbuster four and a half. And I'm like, well, why would I give that a four and a half? <laughs> I use the word perfect. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. So I'm trying to get a little less precious with the five star. I see my rating starting to go up on I, average. I also, um, so it's basically like movie rating inflation that you're, 100%. you're contributing to. Yes. 
Um, I think that I, by, by uh, one thing that I don't like about, you know, trying to keep it to your top five, I like to focus on what's great about certain movies. And when I'm trying to decide if something is number six or number five, I kind of am looking at like, well, this one has this little flaw that I guess that's a good reason I can kick it <laughs> yeah. out of my, out of my top five, but I love it. Like I, there's really nothing wrong. There's nothing dramatically wrong with this movie. And like being in my top 10 is perfectly fine for me. Like, I don't think it's a slight to put something in my top 10. There's like 12 movies in here that are, I, I loved this year. And so yeah. I, I feel sorry for a few of them that they didn't make in my top five. And this goes back to the kind of foundational question of what makes the difference between best and yeah. and love. Is there a difference between my favorite and the best? We could do a spinoff show, like mediocre picture this or something or um favorite picture this pretty picture pretty good this, picture this something like that i think that best lovable picture this forces you to make um intellectual decisions yeah which there's a distance there i think because I'm favorite a, is emotional yeah and if you and the intellectual goes back to saying like well i'm applying rules and this is math but it's not math so trying to say that something is better than something else that if both of them are you know both are high quality and one is better than the other because X and Y, it kind of seems like you can justify that any way that you want as long as you like one better than the other. There are some times though when I do feel that my choice is correct and I feel fine trying to stand on my little platform with my gladiator, you know, big foam um, punching thingy that I, I'm going to knock you off because I am correct. Yeah. I, mean, I don't the know if I explain foam. that correct. The big punchy foam punchy thing. Boxing glove? Uh, I don't know. It's like, I'm thinking like a huge dumbbell with like big foam things on the other side that we're trying to have. Sock like and boppers? Maybe, maybe. <laughs> anyway, moving on. Let me tell you a few trivia points about some movies that, that I loved, some of which might be in my top five, some might not. Um, let the right one in. Several tricks were used to create the right sound effects for the gorier scenes. Biting into sausages... Mm. was used to replicate biting into skin and flesh. Um, drinking yogurt was used to sound like drinking blood. Okay, I can see it. Is, is yogurt sound like drinking blood? No, but it's Slurpee, you know? <laughs> <laughs> this sounds like one of those like, okay, turn off the lights, stick your hand in this box, and it's, it's eyeballs. No, it's peeled grapes. Yeah. Um, the sound of, the chi of children blinking was made by the skin of grapes rubbing together. Hmm. I don't know. Of children blinking. I guess. I don't remember tr children blinking in the movie, but. Uh, 2005. Um, in 2005, Kate Winslet read the screenplay to Revolutionary Road. Loved it. She asked her husband, who happened to be Sam Mendes, to direct the movie. I didn't know they were married. Am I the last one to know that? You might be. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and he originally hesitated because he's like, oh, I, I did American Beauty, 1999. You know, we've done, I've done suburbia. Suburbia has been done. Is that legitimate? I know you didn't love Revolutionary Road like I did. Mm -hmm. But can we say, well, suburbia has been done. I mean, that's like saying the apocalypse has been done. It's like saying, you know, Boy Meets Girl has been done. Can't do that anymore. Yeah. The Western has been done. I mean, can't cross out Darren suburbia. Aronofsky's made pretty much all of his movies are about addiction in one way or another. Mm -hmm. Woody Allen's made about 40 movies that are about <laughs> adultery. Like, 
I think you know that, what? I've already I already did a movie about adultery, yeah. about affairs. Yeah, can't the, do it again. I think everybody has their their obsessions, and you know they always kind of leak through in some way. I guess it's just more it 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 is it is a very direct connection, though. You know, American Beauty yeah, and Revolutionary Road. They are stuck in their houses yep. and they're and they feel stuck in their lives rather than you know mining those feelings. You're you're mining the the setting really. Mm. Is is Revolutionary Road a pre nine eleven movie? <laughs> it's pre by about forty years. It's right? based on the nineteen sixty seven novel. Yeah, um, Sam Mendes said that um, Leonardo DiCaprio would make each other laugh and tease each other so much. They're like they're such good friends, um, and then they would get. Uh, that was off camera. Then they'd get in the, on 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 camera, and they would be just disgusted at each other, <laughs> yelling at each other. And I was wondering, how do you feel about that? I mean, I thought you're supposed to be like, oh God. always in character, <laughs> yeah, off camera. Yeah, you you can never break. You never go home from work. Just like the two of us, if we see each other out, you know, out out and about, we're always pretending to be friendly, just mm. because we want to keep this mm-hmm. vibe going. We pop on headphones. <laughs> We get right oh wait, Mike's coming. He's in the other <laughs> other uh, aisle at Walmart. I gotta get my headphones on. Um, the Fall, Tarsim Singh, uh, was shot in 28 countries for four years. It's insane. That's amazing. Yeah, amazing. There were no stages and no sets ever mm. used. Only existing locations. That's pretty cool. That is. Interesting. That's like a boyhood kind of a you know. Yeah, and I, I was dedication. wondering if if they were dealing with with CGI or or, or sure what it looks that like was, it. I mean, but... these huge sweeping, you know, very colorful. There's like a huge wagon that rolls through a desert. You know, apparently all that stuff is real. That's great. That's very cool. Love it. Um, also, in the fall, Tarsim Sam shot the hospital scenes with this little girl, Katinka Untaru, who's been in three. She has three credits and has not been in any movies for a long time. Um, but she shot, they, they put the hospital scenes in, in chronological order and they kind of had to, because there was this one little problem that happened. She lost her teeth. <laughs> hmm. She lost teeth. So they couldn't exactly, you know, go back and forth. I guess they could have put like little green screen, little squares or something and mm-hmm. then put them in mm-hmm. sort of mm-hmm. like uh, pan's labyrinth, all these weird little green screen or just like green screen socks. Chicklets. In there? Oh, that could work. Would that work? Um, also in the fall. David Fincher and Spike Jones are credited as presenting the movie. Yeah. They had zero to do with it, according to IMDb, besides just putting their names on it. I just thinking maybe we should see if they'd be willing to like present best picture this. <laughs> you don't think- we don't we don't have to bother them with anything else. Just can we say best picture this presented by David Fincher and Spike Jones? What do you think? Think they would go with it? I mean, that would be great. I, I would be all for it. But <laughs> who else would you want to put on that list? You know, let's just ask everybody. Do you think that they were? They, so they didn't put any money into it, and they weren't tied to a distribution company. It had or, nothing or some, to do with the production beyond lending their names to it. It seems like why would you? I don't know why you would do that without getting a little money from them or something. But I don't know why David Fincher would want to have his name on it and pay money to do it. It had nothing to do with it. Just he's a big fan of Tarsum Singh. I don't know. Yeah, I know sometimes uh, directors will do that if they want to help get a get yeah. a movie out. Like Tarantino did that with um, some Eli Roth movie mm-hmm. or movies. But it's, I think that that's part of you know a deal where you kind of slap your name on it. That yeah. helps people come to the theater, and then you probably get some money on the back end. Uh, 
I mean, Steven Spielberg is executive producer of a lot of things. Yeah. I don't know how much control he has. This probably varies quite a bit from movie to movie. Mm-hmm. All right, top fives. So my top five. Mm-hmm. My number five okay. is the visual masterpiece directed by Tarsim Singh. Singh. The Fall. The Fall. So if anybody has not seen this, it's Which sort of, was me yeah. a few weeks ago. I, I went out and found it because it was on... I think it might've been on like one of Ebert's 20 lists or something like yeah. that. But yeah, I was, I was very surprised by it. So yeah, go ahead. It sort of follows the Pan's Labyrinth format where you kind of mix harsh reality yeah. with magical fantasy world. And like you said, the, the locations in this movie are incredible mm-hmm. and the colors are so bright and lush and there are visual surprises in like every set piece yep. in this movie, which is nuts. But what I love about it is that stylistic playfulness, it extends to the tone also. And it's almost whimsical, but it never really crosses over into like cutesy Amelie whimsy. You know, it kind of teeters on that yeah. end, but it never really quite gets there, which I love. And Katinka Untaru. Let's talk about her for a second. She's so good. <laughs> I think she's a contender for my favorite child performance of all time mm-hmm. here. I think that there are better child performances as far as subtlety and nuance go but as far as nailing like what a child sounds like and how they behave this is as close as i've seen in a movie it's like kind of hard to follow what she's talking about and her mannerisms are all that's why you gotta put the subtitles on so you can read all her little mumbles absolutely not (laughs) definitely not gonna do that um but yeah just with her and the the kind of vulnerability that she brings to it um this is another movie about metafiction we've talked about that before yep and it just shifts between darkness and escape so often and and that just says something about you know our relationship to storytelling so if you haven't seen the fall definitely go check that out my number four is in Bruges. Another one that we did not do an episode on. Mm-hmm. And I think that we dropped the ball with that because yeah. watching this again, I, I kind of remembered it as just being funny and cool. And it's a lot more than that. Mm-hmm. This is a meditation on remorse and redemption, which is also really funny almost all the way through. It is. It, <laughs> I think that this was the funniest movie I watched this year or the one that made me laugh the most. This <laughs> And Burn After Reading made me laugh out loud multiple times. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, I, I don't know how he does it because the mm-hmm. tonal shift is yeah. so, so wide without ever feeling incoherent. There's something, there's actually kind of a kinship there. I mean, this feels kind of Coen Brothers-like, this movie. It's like, there's kind of like a crime, the, the look of it doesn't really look like that, no. but there's, there's like a weird, like amber glow to a lot of the movie or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, there's, it. The, the, the sort of, um, there's like a goofiness and a, you know, serious crime, you know, tragedy about to happen kind of tone to it, but it makes you kind of laugh out of nervousness in some way, in, in some situations. Yeah. And it strikes this weird balance where at the exact same time, it's, it feels very, very earnest and also very, very irreverent. Mm-hmm. And you're like, I, I don't understand how he's doing this. And it's his first feature, Martin McDonough, his first feature which just makes no sense to me. And I love what it did for Colin Farrell's <laughs> career. Mm-hmm. The movie rules. Yeah. Definitely got to make my top five. My number three is The Wrestler. We had an episode on that. We talked about it at length. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think my favorite thing about it is how we think of Aronofsky as like this sort of showy craftsman. And here he just knows enough to 
to give Mickey Rourke the stage. Like this is a movie about a character and he kind of steps back and there are still a lot of technical masterful moments to appreciate, but they're kind of in the background, you know, they're always in service to the story and they never really take over. My number two, I think that you thought this would be my number one. It's the dark Knight. So we've talked about this one also at length, I think, during the Iron Man episode and during the Dark Knight episode, so I won't go too into it, except for I can nitpick little things. This is one of those where I was like, maybe it's a four and a four and a half and not a five, but I just think this is one of the greatest blockbusters ever, and it mm-hmm. features the greatest villain performance ever, these practical effects that are incredible, and you think about some philosophical questions, whether or not they always land, it's on your mind, so mm-hmm. it gives the depth. Definitely. And number one is let the right one in. Oh man, <laughs> what a movie Let the Right One is, In is, um, not to be confused with Let Me In, the remake. Yeah, how, by the way, how is, is that one worth watching also? I haven't seen it. You haven't? Okay. No, I, I think Matt it's- Matt Reeves directed it, I think. Yeah, I think after Cloverfield, I think it's um, kind of one of these shot for shot type of okay. remakes where it's very, very, very loyal. And it has um, what, Cody, no, McPhee- um, I'll, I'll look it up, but I think it's the same guy who's in um, Power of the Power Dog. Of the dog? Yeah. Really? Hmm. Mm-hmm. But there's a seesaw, a seesaw, Brian, of beauty and horror. Cody Smith McPhee. Okay, is that the is the boy. guy. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, when he was very little. Mm-hmm. Um, but that seesaw, beauty and horror, is at the heart of the movie and at the heart of this relationship between the two kids, Oscar and Ellie. And I, I don't really want to go into the plot here because I don't want to give any spoilers away, but I just love how I kind of feel like it's a love story that works and I buy into the affection of it while also being suspicious of it the entire time. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's kind of an equal balance of truth and manipulation throughout this thing, just like there's an equal balance of darkness and light and beauty and horror. And I never really can get my 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 hands all around it. And I think that's just because the director, Tomas Alfredson is just so, so good at riding the line and never showing us too much as evidenced by maybe that climax at the pool mm-hmm. where all this crazy stuff is happening just above the water and we don't see any of it, which is great because it forces us to use our imagination. And we really want to see what's going on above that water. We want to see what she's doing and how she can use these powers, but we don't see it, which is, is like disappointing, but it also lets us believe that this is just an innocent 12 year old still, even though she's told us that she's not so many times and mm-hmm. man, that interplay is just so great. So that's all I'm going to say about let the right one in. Cause I don't want to give away too much about, about the subtleties of, of the plot and the characters, but if you haven't seen it, yep. see this movie. I agree. It is also on clear play where I watched it and it's kind of, I think that I, I felt a little bit distanced from that movie it's definitely in my top, you know, 12 or whatever is here and was a strong contender to be in there. Um, I loved it in a lot of ways. There were, there were some things that I, I didn't really know how much the edit was affecting it. And I didn't really feel like I could judge it enough to say this is in my top five, Hmm. but the atmosphere is unlike anything that I've ever seen. I mean, the, the sort of, um, I mean, it's obviously cold, there's snow everywhere on the ground, but there's a certain kind of, um, there's a there's a loneliness that oh, yeah. that is 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 it, it's one of the best depictions of that for this little kid. He's getting mm-hmm. bullied. You're worried that he's gonna go and become his own like he's gonna like kill other people, 
And the one who kind of like saves him from that is this monster. You know, monster. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's really just remarkable how that how that works out. It's great. And yeah. the setting is like you're saying the cold is is such All a these dingy such apartments. a presence here. Yeah. It, it's almost like it's dangerous to go outside. It makes you suspicious yeah. of your neighbors. Like nobody can really be trusted. We're inside all the time. There's mm-hmm. this courtyard that we kind of really only see at night and it's always empty. Yeah. It's that just sets up this idea of like we all live in our little cocoons and we're all so lonely and we're kind of just waiting for somebody to come over and fly to our window and save mm-hmm. us. Um, even though she tells us over and over again, I'm not a girl. I'm not a 12 year old mm-hmm. girl. Um, that was one of several foreign films that I enjoyed quite a bit. Um, one of them being the fall. The fall mm-hmm. was my number five as well. Um, one of my favorite scenes of the whole movie is Katinka and Taru pleading with her storyteller um, toward the end. And I don't really want to spoil it, but that, that, that scene was one of the most affecting of the, of the year for me. Mm-hmm. Um, my number four was Revolutionary Road. Um, one of the best acting performances of the year. And f- I, think, um, I think it's Leonardo DiCaprio's best movie. Uh, wow. I love, he's, it's, it's saying, it, he's been in many, <laughs> but I think that's his best acting performance. Okay, so not his best movie. No, no, no. His best performance his best in performance, a movie. Which, hmm. yeah, I'd have to go back, I'd have to look at his whole list to see if it was really my favorite movie that he's ever been in. That's kind of saying a lot. I mean, but, Titanic alone. You're going <laughs> to put this over Titanic? I like this more than Titanic, yeah. Oof. But um, yeah, Leonardo DiCaprio, The I mean, it is kind of, you know, these characters are kind of, they're in suburbia. It, they're, they're sort of small minded. They're so self-centered about what they want. And like, they have it all. They have, you know, they're married. They got two kids. They're pursuing hobbies. They have a nice house. They have, you know, he's got this job that, you know, pays plenty. What more do you really want? How many people in the world would, would, (laughs) <laughs> die for that life you know we watch slumdog millionaire and these guys are like sleeping on yeah. a on a trash pit and they're unhappy in this life but yet but yet sam mendez and all, the script and the writing are so compelling and like because i live in a you know suburbia you know that's me like you can sort of relate to these kind of little moments throughout at least i can and it moves very fast again the acting is superb both Leo and Kate Winslet, I think, are just tremendous. Michael Shannon is in it. He's awesome and funny and disturbing throughout. So Revolutionary Road is number four. My top three are kind of like all tied. So I'm just going to go with a tie. One, 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 All one. five stars. Just kidding. So is Revolutionary Road also a five star for you? <laughs> sure. Okay. Why not? Okay. All five of these are five, five stars. All five, five I'm not, stars. I'm not going to say, <laughs> I, I am going to put them in order. But it's not really. I don't feel that strongly about one. You think two, you're three. Ebert now? Is that what, is that what's going on here? I'm following his role. You his you could his just example. Break the rules of the show. In 2008. I'm not. I'm not making him a tie. <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm gonna tell you. But on a different day, these could be reversed. I'm gonna say number three is the wrestler. I loved Mickey Rourke's character. One of them that I cared about the most, which was I think a really. Um, I think that's one thing that Ebert said about the wrestler that mm-hmm. kind of made me think about it differently. Um, my number two was the best acted movie of the year, in my opinion, Doubt. 
Meryl Streep, I think, should have gotten Best Actress for what she did. And it was also nominated for these other categories in acting. And my number one is The Dark Knight, which after I nice. had a hard time with it, you know, I, you I was like, around. I came around to it. I think when I really think about like, what, what do I want to rewatch? And what is the highest high of the year? It's The Joker. And I, I've always loved Batman. You know, I have soft spot for Batman. I'm hard on the movies because I love different things about all the different ones throughout, you know, history. So it's hard to like put them all into one and say that's the best Batman. But, um, you know, I just can't get, I just can't get over the Joker. Like <laughs> if I could watch any movie this year again, that's going to be one of the top on my list, mm -hmm. even though I've seen it like five times already. Like I just, I love the movie. And, um, it, it has its problems, but it still is number one, but is doubt better than that? Or do I love doubt more than that? You know, maybe it depends on the day. And for a long time, this, the, for this series, I thought the wrestler was my number one. Yeah. You know, I had never seen it before. So that also contributes sometimes. Mm -hmm. Um, but just a couple of, a few other near misses for me, the visitor, the last scene is fantastic. If you've never seen the visitor, it's kind of like. Uh, under the radar, lowish low budget movie, but Richard Jenkins was nominated for best actor for it. And it's, it's, it's really great. Synecdoche, New York is one of those near misses. The reader I really enjoyed. I thought Kate Winslet was fantastic in that. And her character was one of the most fascinating in that movie. In Bruges is a near miss. Um, the band's visit. Did you ever see the band's visit? I didn't get to it. No. Some someday. Oh, probably never, but the band's <laughs> visit was great. It's, 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 you know, this Egyptian band goes, you know, on the road and lands up in the wrong town and hardly anything happens in the movie, but the characters are just great. And the shooting is, is kind of strange and sparse. Um, ballast was big shocker how, how good it was. It's like documentary style, but the view of what, you know, poverty, you know, does to a, a family and a kid and a coming of age it's great. Wendy and Lucy, same reasons that I really enjoyed that one. And then Burn After Reading, which I was kind of surprised how much I enjoyed that. But one of the most fun characters, most fun movies of the year to me was Burn After Reading. Brad Pitt in that movie. And of course, Francis McDormand just always does that type of character well. So those are some of my highlights. You've got another Coen Brothers movie to look forward to in, I know. in 2009. Yeah, that's true. So honorable mentions for me, I'm going to go Iron Man and Doubt. Those were my sort of top two mm -hmm. that were kind of fighting for a top spot. And I decided to follow. Which Meryl Streep destroys Iron, uh, you know, Iron Man. <laughs> she could beat him up with, with a look. one arm behind her. With a look. She would get him to <laughs> chew his disgusting uh, chewed up steak. Um, Cloverfield is also going to be an honorable for me, and Synecdoche is my number 10, mm -hmm. even though I'm very on the fence with it. We haven't included documentaries in the past, so I left this one out, but Man on Wire is incredible. Yeah. I love that movie. I would have included it if we did include documentaries, but I, I honor the rules around here. Don't want to break the rules. <laughs> um, also, Speed Racer, mm. the Wachowskis. The Wachowskis. The movie is bonkers, but really really visually cool oh. and inventive and i was really surprised after seeing it i did not recently. get around to it it's it's a lot more interesting than i thought it was going to be yeah. because it definitely looks very artificial at first and once you kind of accept that okay this is on purpose <laughs> these people know what they're doing and you kind of settle into the world of it i thought you didn't like doing that 
What? Giving the director the benefit of the doubt, saying, the Wachowskis made it, though, so maybe I should look a little closer at Speed Racer. No, no, no. I give everybody the benefit of the doubt, and I give them the opportunity to prove me wrong. Um, also, just a note about comedy, where comedy is right now, because the Apatow era is in full swing. We had 40-Year-Old Virgin in 05, and then last year, 07, knocked up super bad. This year, Step Brothers, Pineapple Express, Sarah Marshall, role models. Actually, I don't even know if Step Brothers, I don't think that's an Apatow, but still, a lot of comedy is going on yeah. right now. Step Brothers is probably also an honorable mention for me, but I didn't get around to rewatching it. I didn't, so I I didn't like, watch it either. It was on my queue, and then I ran out of time for 08, so I never, I never got it. I did love forgetting Sarah Marshall, though. Hmm. That, that is in my top 10 also. I prefer not to laugh. I like, <laughs> I like to be doubt grim in my movie watching. Mm -hmm. Okay, so who would you kick from the Oscars? Um, I think the only one that I want to bring up here is The Fall for being nominated for zero Oscars. It's like my symbol for what annoys me about this ceremony. Cinematography, art direction. Art direction is the obvious one, yep. I think. But I would have taken the best directing because it looks incredible. Mm -hmm. And over four years, that's a feat. I mean, yeah. it, it, it's a crazy... 28 countries, come on. Best Supporting Actress, let's give Katinka or whatever her name is. <laughs> Sorry, Katinka. Katinka and Taru. Um, yeah, I mean, I would have even accepted that. But... Revolutionary Road gets an art direction nomination. Yeah, that's that's ridiculous. It's like one of these. It's classic, fine. It's fine. It's but fine. there's nothing. I mean, it looks so much like the fifties or the sixties. Yes. I mean, that's the idea. Yep. But like, but that's the Academy loves the fifties. Who cares? That's when we, they grew up. We have so many period pictures, <laughs> and they all look so much like their period. It's a it's an accomplishment. But mm -hmm. like. I don't know. I think imagination is a little bit more of an accomplishment when you're able to achieve yeah. something like the fall and the fact that it gets no notori notoriety at all. I wonder if it got hurt by, I mean, these movies also have a campaign and the fall, I think in OMD, IMDB says it came out in like 06. So it was in festivals. It was and, going through yeah. festivals. So I don't know if that kind of hurts, hurts a movie like that. And there's probably a lot of indie ones that don't quite catch the radar because they're not rolled out in the way that people expect, you know, with, with some of these like, oh, we're saving our Oscar movie for November, December, and we're going to, or even like December 30th and just get it into one, one theater. And then we're going to, you know, barely qualify. They, they didn't follow all those rules and maybe that's partly. But issue. also it takes money to, to market these things. Yeah. You know, they have to send out screeners. They do ad campaigns. Like yeah. these studios have to back these movies to get them in front of, of voters mm -hmm. and usually smaller budget indie movies, whatever, they're not going to have that kind of backing. And that's part of the reason why you don't see weirder, sometimes more interesting movies nominated. And you do see ones like Revolutionary Road that you expect. It didn't get nominated for all the big ones, though, which was a snub. Because Leo should have gotten the act, best actor. He's gotten enough. And if anything, Mickey Rourke was the best out of the five in the best actor. But I think that for sure... Leonardo DiCaprio should have been nominated and I think he should have won. I'll kick out, you know, Brad Pitt for Benjamin Button yeah. if I need to. Um, actress in a leading role. I thought Kate Winslet was better in Revolutionary War Road than in The Reader, but she was fantastic in both. So I don't really mind her being the winner there. Um, it's a strong year though, because I think Meryl Streep in Doubt also definitely could have won. Um, adapted screenplay. Why not give it to Doubt? I mean, it won the best play. And the, 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 the dialogue is stupendous. Um, 
certainly better than Slumdog Millionaire or any of the other ones on the list. Slumdog One. Slumdog One for oh. adapted screenplay. Okay, it won eight of them. So that's that's lame. Yeah. So in the next episode, we're going to start 2009. We're going to do Up in the Air. Nice. George Clooney stars as professional firer, professional business class traveler, professional fake backpack wearer. Uh, Anna fake Kent. backpack wearer? Yeah, remember the fake backpack? No. He's like motivational speaker, metaphorical backpack. Anyway, hmm. you'll remember it when you watch it. Yeah. You've seen this before? Uh, yeah, multiple times. Okay, yeah. me too. Um, so yeah. Until then, find us on Spotify, Apple, wherever else you listen. We're also on social media. And for 16 years of golden takes, head over to Letterboxd slash Mike Cavallari. To support the show, visit patreon.com slash bestpicturethis. Thanks to WNZF and the illustrious Mark Gilliland for producing. Also, please remember to rate, review, subscribe. Thanks for listening. Remember the best movie of 08, The Dark Knight. Chicken. <laughs>